Please keep your Bibles open to that passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. The title this this morning, Transformed by the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's pray once again. Father, we ask for the ministry of the Spirit of God upon us, that we would hear the word of the Lord. And we bless you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a gospel song. I don't know how long it's been around. You may have heard it, may not have. I came across it a couple years ago, heard it one time, and looking for something else, saw it this week. And it fits right wonderfully well with our theme this morning, Transformed by the Gospel of Christ. It starts out this way. Today I went back to the place where I used to go. Today I saw the same old crowd I knew before. And when they asked me what had happened, I tried to tell them, thanks to Calvary, I don't come here anymore. Thanks to Calvary, I'm not the person I used to be. Amen? I hope that's your testimony. Thanks to Calvary, I'm not the person I used to be. I'm, I've been transformed by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You may have read before the writing on the tomb of John Newton, the one who wrote Amazing Grace. It says, John Newton, clerk, once an infidel, a libertine, a servant of slaves. He was at times in slavery while he was in Africa and was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. 1 Corinthians 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, gives us a clear, concise unveiling of the difference that Jesus makes. And we're going to read it again. Follow along as you can in your Bible. I'm going to actually be reading it from the Amplified, and um, that may amplify the situation a little bit. Do you know that the unrighteous will not inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, the fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate by perversion, nor those who participate in homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But you are washed by the atoning sacrifice of Christ. You were sanctified, set apart for God, and made holy. You were justified, declared free of guilt in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit of our God, the source of the believer's new life and changed behavior." The Holy Spirit moved the Apostle Paul to describe the corrupt condition of lost sinners 
in Corinth, and some of the charter members of that church were among those. They had lived all their life enslaved to various ones of these sins, and they were saved from such a uh, corrupt life. Now, apparently, there were some among the membership or in attendance at their meetings who were still slaves to the old life. And so they're told in verse 9, Don't you know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Here is a strong, simple word that describes the lost. Unrighteous. Now, in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, we have a, a deeper exposure of the problem uh, unrighteous deeds and lifestyle comes from ungodliness. If you'll spend some time in meditating upon Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following, uh, you'll see that people are enslaved in unrighteous deeds because they're ungodly. Well, what is the message of the Holy Spirit to that Corinthian church and to us? Uh, you may be a church member. You could be a pastor, you could be anyone, but if your lifestyle remains in ungodliness and unrighteousness, you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. So you go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, and the Amplified puts it this way, test and evaluate yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. It didn't say I was to test and examine my neighbor, Oh, so-and-so, I don't believe they're a Christian. Oh, I, I don't believe they're a Christian. Uh, that's not the assignment. The assignment is to ha have the Holy Spirit examine our own hearts. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves by an ongoing experience, that Jesus Christ is in you unless, indeed, you fail the test and are rejected as a counterfeit? In our responsive reading, we were reading from Matthew chapter 7. Same, same message. Now, we need to be clear, we're not talking about salvation by godly works. That's not, that's not what is being presented here. Godly, righteous conduct is, however, clear evidence that we are born again. So in verses 9 and 10 of 1 Corinthians 6, the Holy Spirit moved the Apostle Paul to list some of the sins that were the characteristic lifestyles of those who were in the community of Corinth, or those who, before they were saved, now members, transformed by the grace of God, this is how they used to live, at least some of them. They'd been fornicators, and we don't use that word anymore. We just said uh, sex before marriage or intimacy before marriage. We don't like the words that expose the issue is a sin problem. I've, I've talked to many young people in pre-marriage counseling, and unfortunately, you, you just have to assume. And I have to ask the question, have you been intimate before marriage? Because you, if that's true, then you need to give some counseling, some biblical truth about how to overcome the failure, how to be forgiven. If, if are, are you, in fact, 
already a Christian and you failed, or do you just not know the Lord? So uh, this is an issue. I bring this up and, and labor it for a moment because uh, the scriptures, again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, you know what it says to do about fornication? Flee! Don't fight it. Run. Run for your life. This is not one you can uh, shore up your defenses and, and I'll tempt myself and, and I'll do all the things that lead to temptation, that will lead to fornication, but I won't do that. Uh, you're kidding yourself. Uh, the word of God is very plain. Now, then some of them had been idolaters. They had worshipped and bowed down to false gods and to false religion, religious systems. Uh, so many things can be an idol. Uh, might step on some toes, I don't know, hope not. But if, I'm, if I hit your toes, I'm sorry for being such a bad shot because I'm aiming for the heart. Have, have any of you been smitten or stricken? If, you, if Some of you, well, I don't even like football. Have you seen, when you turn on and watch a, t a football game, Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people just screaming and yelling and, and tearing down the goalposts and, and just uh, beside themselves. You know what that is? That's a worship scene. That's a worship scene. Many of these people uh, will profess to be Christians and they have other plans for the Lord's Day uh, following the game. Uh, life gets in the way of following Jesus Christ when following Jesus Christ is not our number one thing. But it can be anything. It can be things that in and of themselves are not necessarily wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to go to a ball game. Or yell and scream a little bit if you want to. It won't bother me. I don't hear good anyway. <laughs> but the point of it is, you know what the word of God was for fornication? If you're tempted with that, flee. Same word about idolatry. Flee. If there's something or someone that's grabbing your heart that's outside the will of God and you know it, flee. You need to have a, a total change of, of how you're dealing with that. In verse 9, these, these people... Some of these uh, charter church members had been adulterers. Now, this is, uh, well, we don't do that anymore. We just have affairs. Well, there's this problem of adultery, of being unfaithful to your wife or to your husband, of having sex with someone who is not your wife or husband. And Second Peter chapter 2, verse 14, speaks about those whose eyes are full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. The sins of this world will grab you. You say, well, I've been faithful to my wife or my husband. Uh, what about the porn? All over America, pastors and people in the pews, high percentages of them are addicted to porn. That's not uh, being faithful to your marriage vows. 
And it is a sin that will absolutely consume you. And we, you know, back in the day when uh, the Holy Spirit wrote this through Paul to the church, I'm sure they had lots of invitations and ways that they could uh, get their imaginations uh, uh, rising up and thinking things. And But man, we have it everywhere you turn. Uh, the, the iPhone and the television and so many things have just made it so available. And you and I are kidding ourselves if we don't put on the whole armor of God. And again, we're kidding ourselves if we think, oh, I can handle this. Then in verse 9, he says that some of the former, uh, some of the new church members there had, were, had been, in, had been uh, effeminate, uh, not just that they looked that way by natural creation, but they had taken on the characteristics of someone who was confused about their identity. I grew up in the 50s and 60s. We never thought about such a thing. And now we have a society where your children go to public school, and while you're not looking, they are trying to manipulate, in many cases, your children down a path that is different from the way God made them. Now, God's not confused. He knows the difference between a male and a female. And he's made it to where we don't have to be confused. We can only be confused if we just close our eyes to what is obvious and go down our own path. And that is happening. Thousands and thousands of children are being given drugs and operations to change our sexuality. It's a horrible, horrible expression of child abuse. It's not a new thing. But it's growing. Uh, I was telling someone maybe yesterday in the men's meeting, Cindy and I loved when we're eating supper, to watch Jeopardy. And I don't know if it's my imagination or what, but it seems like more and more in the last several months, the contestants on Jeopardy, many of them are bisexual, transsexual, confused, homosexual, lesbian, Smiling, having a great time. Well, according to God, these people are enslaved by sodomy. You say, well, they need professional counseling. You know, back these Corinthians didn't have professional counseling. The whole huge world of psychology had not been invented until about a little, somewhere around 200 years ago. And so when people prior to that, and especially in Old Testament, New Testament times, when they had these various problems, they couldn't call up a psychiatrist. They couldn't text a psychiatrist. They couldn't walk to a psychiatrist. There weren't any. In verse 10, talks about those who are thieves, who steal, take things from others. A lot of ways to do that. Covetous, those who are greedy. It's interesting that this list and these charter members, when we're looking at some of them, we can say, I don't worry about that one. I don't worry about that one. 
I, I'm not guilty of any of those. We not, may not be being totally honest, but when we get to stealing or covetousness, those are nice sins. Nobody goes to jail for being covetous. There's not been anybody in my awareness who has experienced church discipline because they were convicted of being covetous. And then in verse 10, drunkards, people who are enslaved by alcohol, strong drink, or prescription drugs, legally. Well, they need a drug treatment program. They need AA. Well, the Corinthians didn't have that. So here are these people in Corinth, and they have all these life-dominating sins, and they don't have any of our solutions. How in the world did the human race survive until our day? I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm just trying to help us to face a reality here. Revilers, verse 10. Those who destroy with their tongues and wound with words. Those who use their words as weapons of abuse to insult, to humiliate, to intimidate, to slander. Oh, they need to go to anger management. They didn't have that. What on earth could these sinners, these died-in-the-wool sinners of Corinth, how could they ever have deliverance from these life-dominating sins? And besides, some of them were extortioners. They stole directly, indirectly, took unfair advantage. And again, verse 11 starts out, you know, with this kind of pass, what's going to be the, what's going to be the result? And, and he says, and such were some of you. And we could be here. And again, I'm not making light. I'm not making fun. I'm not looking down my nose at anyone. All the things that in this list are things that people face today. And you may have family members that face it. You may have people that you work with that face one or more of these. And they're wringing their hands and don't know what to do. You might be wondering, maybe you're secretly dealing with some of this. And your question is, would God ever save me? Could God save someone like me? So the reality is all of us, before we were saved, lived in bondage to sin. One of these or something else. I want you to, if you have your Bibles open, I want you to, Put your finger there on, on, on 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 9, I mean, verse 9 through 11. Because I want to tell you something that uh, I experienced a number of years ago. It was back in 1978. I went to... Uh, a church in Houston, Texas, where Pastor Ray Stedman from California was going to be speaking. And he told about an occasion where uh, he 
was preaching from this passage. And all of a sudden, in context of preaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, he stopped. Right in the middle of the sermon, read those verses again, and then instructed his congregation. Now, please, just for a moment, look at those verses. Look especially at verse 9 and 10. Because I'm going to ask that we do what they did. He read those verses again. And then he said, and I'll have to change positions here. All of you, congregation full of Christians, all of you who in your past life, you were in bondage to one of those sins. Stand to your feet. Now, I'm going to stand. I don't know about you, but I'm standing. I'm not looking around to see who's standing and who's not. You may be seated. I didn't watch who stood, who, who did not, because that's not the point. So, after the service, a man came up to the front to speak to Pastor Stedman and said, Sir, I've been in prison a long time. Just got out last week. Was wrestling in my heart about whether or not someone like me could come to church. I came in a little bit late and sat on the back pew. Kind of looking around, feeling so out of place. But when you said what you said in that congregation, most of them stood. I knew that there was hope for me. You know, folks, as Christians, we don't need to be high and mighty. We don't, we don't need to... Uh, I had someone that said, I had someone who has not spoken to me in months. Because in telling family life story, I put three words. I, I put a lot in there about my failures in the past. I just said certain members of my family for a time had a drinking problem. But for many years now, they've been saved and so forth and so on. I got a phone call. You've ruined my life. You've ruined my reputation. People in the church, they won't let me teach Sunday school anymore. I don't like you talking about my past. Christians like to hide. We come in the building with a sign. I've got my act together. I have no problems. How are you? I'm fine. We need to be honest. I'm not saying parade blood and guts, but we need to be honest. We're not merely sinners. We are saints who sometimes sin, but we do sin. We need to be honest that we have to fight spiritual battles. When we are honest about our struggle with sin, our times of failure, and, and the grace of God to help us to win that battle... 
We don't know who the one is, but there's somebody listening. Somebody is going to be taking hope. Maybe there's hope for me. Now, on the other side of the coin, can you imagine how discouraging it is to live around, to live with, or to work with somebody, and, and they claim to be a Christian, and they're living like the devil at work or at home? We need some reality. God delights to build his church from bad sinners. There was a prison superintendent who was on the carpet for a lack of control in his prison. He felt like he was doing the best he could, and finally he just threw up his hands in the presence of those of his superiors who were going to keep him on or fire him. He said, if you'll send me some better prisoners, I'll have a better prison. God doesn't have a better set of prisoners. And he was not waiting around for modern psychology. Or these programs or whatever. And some of the ones who, the, the main ones who go through the door and the main ones who get hooked, some of, among the main ones who get hooked on prescription drugs that are supposed to help you do, do whatever, they're in the pulpit and in the pews of America. I can't tell you the number of times I've read of a pastor who committed suicide and they say, well, he was in mental treatment and he was on this drug and that drug and he was doing his best. And his gospel had no power. And they didn't say that, but it was obvious. And I'm not looking down my nose at anyone. I'm just saying either the gospel is the power of God unto salvation or it is not. And if it's not, let's close the doors, sell the building, divide the money and go fishing. But look at those words in verse 11. And such were some of you. Oh my, that's a big word. Were. Were. Praise God. I can say, thanks to Calvary, I'm not the man I used to be. What a powerful witness. What a powerful privilege to go out into our world as those who were but no longer enslaved. Oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, and sinners, say, sinners sin, but I'm going to heaven. Ne please, never, never make that confession. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That gives no honor to God, and it is not the gospel. Sinners saved by grace are transformed and are being transformed increasingly in the likeness of Christ. The love of God has flooded your heart. You are no longer under the dominion of sin. Rise up and walk. What made the change? And such were some of you, but you're washed by the atoning sacrifice of Christ. You're sanctified, set apart for God, by God. You've, made, you've been made holy. You're, you're justified. 
You are declared free from the guilt. God no longer looks at that whole list of stuff in there. God doesn't look, oh, yeah, you're one of those. You, I remember you, that's where you were. Don't you forget it now, that's where you were. And that's how I look at you now, and I'm just waiting for you to fall, because I don't believe you're real. God doesn't do you that way. Because you're his, you're his uh, tabernacle, you're his dwelling place. The Holy Spirit, your body is his home. And he works day and night on your behalf, interceding for you. And giving you power and grace to win spiritual battles. And when you, had, when, when you or I do fall flat on our face and we dishonor God, he says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. You, you were in trouble because you, you squirmed away from the yoke. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. And there's peace and rest for your soul. What changed? Verse 11, you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, washed in the atoning sacrifice. Again, it makes no difference what the Corinthians had been before they came to know Jesus Christ. All that mattered at this point was that they had become children of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so it is with you, Christian. You have a new identity. I've had such agony with trying to help people whose past past is so bad, and, and the world, and the world that demands that they treat them, demand that they look, you know, Once a sex offender, always a sex offender. Once a drunkard, always a drunkard. And on and on and on it goes. Are these horrible sins? Absolutely. But we have a wonderful Savior who has no problem not only forgiving you of those sins, but empowering you to overcome those sins. Are you still susceptible, capable? Yes. You can never say, well, I made a decision so I can go out and do what I want to. That's not the Christian. The Christian said, by the grace of God, I've been saved, and I want to please Jesus. The Holy Spirit says to the Corinthian Christians and to the Christians at Southside, you're washed by the blood of Christ. If you're troubled and tortured about your past, you're washed. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. My sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit is living within me. I'm no longer a slave. I no longer live where I used to live. I'm sanctified. I'm set apart for God's use. He owns me by right of creation. He owns me by right of redemption. In Christ, we belong to him. Doesn't matter what you did or how you live when you were a dead and sin sinner. You're now a new creation. Now that's what 1 Corinthians 5.17 tells us. We are a new creation. The whole list of sins of the, the, the first chapter of the biography of every, of every person on the planet Earth. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 through and 3. Dead in sin. 
living according to the course of this world, under the power of Satan, etc., 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 children of wrath, even as others. If you're going to write a biography, start with that chapter. That's where you start. That's where we all start. What's the next verse? What's the next word in the next verse? But God quickens the dead. You become his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he has ordained that we walk in them. This is not optional Christianity. This is Christianity. Thanks to Calvary. I'm not the man I used to be. Thanks to Calvary, things are different than before. While the tears ran down my face, I tried to tell them, thanks to Calvary, I don't come here anymore. You got some places you don't come to anymore? You might have to put all kinds of protections, but you carry that iPhone around and are you doing work on your computer and you're trying to focus on something very serious and even very holy you could be working on a, a sermon or a Bible study and over on the side corner there's a scanned address woman and it says you won't believe what she's wearing or not wearing trying to instill from curiosity in an invitation to turn aside from the way of the cross Thanks to Calvary, I don't live there anymore. I'm God's child. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, I want to live for His glory. I want to find my satisfaction, and I do find my satisfaction in Him. And the best is yet to be. Praise His name. Things change when you come to Jesus. What's that hymn that we're singing? What's the name of it? Since Jesus came into my heart. That's how we're going to end our service. By singing hymn 441. As we sing that. You may have to say. He hasn't come into my heart. But I need him. The Holy Spirit has revealed to me that I'm a sinner. And I need Jesus. Are you here this morning. And you've allowed the world. The flesh and the devil to uh, hinder your testimony as a Christian. Come to Jesus and be restored in fellowship. You're here and you need to know him. Come to Jesus. All who come to him, he will in no wise cast out. Or you're here and though you don't have perfection by any means, you're rejoicing in salvation. You're rejoicing in freedom in Christ. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Father, we thank you and praise you for the wonder of the transformed life by the power of the gospel. We know that there are so many people in our world and maybe even some hiding here but are hurting deeply with battles all hidden. May this be a day of revelation. May this be a day of healing. Father, we would... Pray for the wisdom and grace not to look down our noses as any sort of contempt toward anyone who is a slave to the world, the flesh, and the devil, but that we would be amazed that we're not 
and grateful. And, O oh Lord God, open doors to where we can manifest and reveal Christ to these ones. We thank you, that, Jesus, that you are still building your church from some pretty sorry raw material. But that's what you've always done. And you still are doing it. So help us as a body of believers to, to be renewed in our faith. We're to give the gospel. We're to plant the gospel. We're to water it by manifesting the life of Christ. But Lord, you give the increase. And we bless you that you do. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.